0: okay i think uh it's working um hello again um i just wanted to kind of jump on and do another reflection on actually a question that i got asked uh, a few days ago um, someone asked what the uh, connection between my work and theology is with uh social justice movements today and uh what kind of perspective um i take on kind of various uh movements that have been called resistance movements uh, so anyway I thought I would uh, talk about that um, I'm actually doing a series of videos on my Patreon where people on my Patreon can ask me any question they want and then I will attempt to address it in some kind of way um, and I think this question did come up there as well so I might, I might give more detail there but um, I just wanted to give a few thoughts And I'm actually going to evoke uh, the work of Foucault and I know that's not popular um, so much at the moment but Foucault has done some really interesting work and uh, one of his most interesting contributions to I think uh, philosophical theory, political theory is his exploration of how power controls the entire field within which we operate. That power not only controls the field of power but also what resists that power. So there is power and there is resistance. Um, power is, you know, whatever ideological system is in control and resistance is the um, the attempt to undermine that, to overthrow it, to critique it. And Foucault very carefully in some of his works, uh, History of Sexuality and Discipline and Punish, uh, looks at how the very resistance against power uh, has been infiltrated by the ideological power itself. and We need to kind of like unpack that. So it basically uh, is the idea that ideological systems create their enemies. So I wanna, I wanna uh, look at three things uh, that uh, ideological powers do in relation to this creation of an enemy. So the first thing, of course, is the very fact that a lot of the resistance to a power is the very result of that power. So what happens is uh, Foucault uses an example of the Christian church that uh, in late antiquity uh, wrote down a whole series of sexual temptations and perversions that um, could, uh, you know, uh, uh, could tempt the, uh, the faithful. And in, in a sense, these temptations were not really very rife, but it was the very prohibition of these temptations that started to give them life. So the very fact of writing down all of these prohibitions um, then made everybody go, oh, wow, that sounds cool, right? Um, the very, uh, the very uh, no created a transgression against the no. And of course, you know, an example of this is if you have a kid and you have a series of, like, boxes around the room and you say to the child, don't open that box. See that box there? Don't open it when I leave the room. The very prohibition generates the desire to transgress the prohibition. So weirdly, instead of thinking of, like, resistance as something separate separate from power and critiquing power, you can see how power can actually very much create the form of resistance um, and can, depending on what prohibitions are laid down, can uh, create different types of resistance. Uh, Even, um, I don't actually know much about this. I I don't uh, keep too up on kind of what's going on, but I know that um, Donald Trump uh, has been accused of uh, sleeping with uh, porn star Stormy Daniels and I think then paying her off to not to talk about it. Uh, Now, this is an interesting example because, uh, you know, on the surface, it doesn't sound like a very big story. You know, billionaire businessman and reality TV star has sex with a porn star in a penthouse. right? (laughs) Not, not, Not much kind of amazing about that. But what's clever is the prohibition is paying the person off not to talk about it, refusing to answer questions, denying it, that very activity of course, then creates a resistance against it. And it becomes a massive thing, even to the extent that it's on the proper news channels and not just social media, right? Um, so what what's happening there, potentially, is the very uh, the very prohibition, the very not-talking-about-this-thing, which is, you know, a guy, this billionaire businessman has an affair, right? That's the story, I think. Um, but now it's become, like this really, really huge thing because it's not talked about. So the very prohibition from the power generates a particular type of resistance to the power. And then secondly then, from creation of resistance, there is the cultivation of resistance. Uh, What uh, ideological powers do consciously or unconsciously is cultivate the type of resistance movements that they have created. Uh, and for a variety of reasons. Uh, one might be for distraction. So you generate a resistance movement on a, on a subject that you don't really care about, something over here that's not very important, that takes away from a genuine issue in relation to say environmental crisis, um, uh, uh, nuclear talks, uh, whatever it is, like proper political actions, like tr- the dissolution of trade unions or you know some, some real political issue, Distraction happens when you cultivate uh, the type of resistance that you have created, um, or to legitimate. That's another very important reason why power uh, creates a resistance. Uh, Think of the example of uh, creationism. In creationism, you will find that uh, these creationists want to debate evolutionary biologists. And of course, that seems strange at first because you go if you have a preeminent, because uh, it's basically the better the better the evolutionary biologist, uh, the more they want to debate them, and that sounds crazy because if you get a preeminent evolutionary biologist, uh, who is articulate. Um, the creationist is going to you know lose the argument. This is for a variety of reasons. Um, so why would they want to do that? Well. Partly because the mere debate itself is more important than the content. The form is more important than the content. It legitimizes the position, right? So the very fact that, you know, say a creationist gets on the BBC, doesn't matter how it goes, the creationist will use that because it's like we were on this credible news station. We debated this credible biologist. And that helps to legitimate uh, the, 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 the system itself. And I I experienced this when uh, a number of years ago, some people who created a documentary, a very good documentary, um, asked me to uh, endorse it. And it was a documentary that was critiquing a kind of conservative religious idea. And my problem was I couldn't endorse it, not because I didn't like the documentary, not because I didn't like the people, and not because I didn't agree with the documentary, But in a sense, by endorsing this documentary that critiqued this conservative idea, I was endorsing something that legitimated that idea. Uh, It legitimated it in its very critique of it. Now, in terms of the idea itself, um, I would want to have respect for it. I would want to listen to it um, and uh, engage with it in some sort of way, but not in an intellectual way. Uh, Because the very act of attack is an act of endorsement. Um, And then thirdly, uh, power can um, uh, can contort the resistance. And by contorting the resistance, I mean that it begins to mould it in a particular way. Uh, I think a good example of this might be, um, I don't know if you've seen Sasha Cohen's uh, Who is America?, but he has a character um, who is kind of a, a liberal with an NPR t-shirt and, and uh, he's very extreme version of, of, of an American kind of West Coast liberal. Um, and he's quite a funny character. But what's interesting is that there are, there is a significant movement, that's a caricature of it, but you know, that, that fits in with that kind of uh, way of thinking. And it wasn't a significant movement uh, really until, uh, some extremes were put on social media so people on the right were then kind of making fun of you know what i think is called social justice warriors right um, and then as they made fun of this very fringe kind of liberal progressive group uh, what happens is people who are on the left you know gets their backs up and then they start defending it and in a sense the very attack on it contorts the the left into this type of figure so it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger until it seems like this is quite a significant movement within American universities and um, in the west coast of America and probably elsewhere. So uh, and it's, it's a clever move because in one sense you can torture resistance movement so that it becomes, um, you know, quite easy to ridicule. Uh, and it's like like many of us will know this as if we get into an argument with somebody and they paint an image of you that is just a little bit uh, different, right? But it's, it's a little bit like your position, but it's a little bit different. And then you start defending it. And what can happen is if that person, you know, either knowingly or unknowingly, just slightly shifts uh, how they define, how they reflect back, what you're saying how they echo back your position they can get you to start defending a position that you wouldn't even at the beginning have endorsed so then you in a sense you become the straw man that they want you to be Uh, so what happens then is resistance becomes you know the, the extreme like one is it's endorsed by the system so protests that are allowed by the system that are endorsed by it, that seem to critique the system, but um, as I say, jump through all the legal hoops to have the protest, and where the extreme fringes of the protest, the kind of silly dimensions of that protest are um, are, are shown, um, and then what happens is kind of genuine uh, resistance uh, kind of gets hidden. Um, and this means that power in a sense controls not only the dominant system but it also controls the resistance to the dominant system um uh, yeah so I'll, I'll i'll move on from there this is uh lacan uh he uses this phrase the cynic and the fool and i think it's a good example of this the cynic is someone who you know can distract and contort, create the enemy, you know, uh, cultivate it, do all of that. They don't really care, right? They, they'll they throw out, they'll even, you know, like, say this Dormy Daniels thing. Like, if this was a cynical idea, is like, it's perfect for distraction, right? Is it, you know, maybe harass Daniels. Threaten her with a legal thing, arrest her for no real reason, um, deny answering questions. Uh, you know, so basically what happens is the cynic controls the narrative. It looks like it's against them, but actually it, it, it distracts everybody. And then the fool is, on the, is the liberal who then falls for it, jumps into this, invests themselves in it. And so the cynic and the fool are completely intertwined. And it's kind of like a, a kind of a sadistic masochistic relationship—the sadist and the masochist both getting something out of the uh, antagonism that they create. It's a, its kind of like, basically, they want it. So, here, the the uh, one side is giving the resistance their pleasure, allowing them to enjoy their resistance. I've talked about this elsewhere, which is you know the hypochondriac who actually loves their disease. We love our enemies. But we don't love our enemies in the sense of we care for them. We love our enemies in the sense that we, we want our enemy in order to um, give us enjoyment, because we enjoy attacking them. Right? Uh, so we're libidinally invested in what they do. So then the question is, how do you get out of this dynamic of power and resistance and power and controlling the entire social field? Um, now, for Foucault and his, his later writings, Uh, he starts to explore the idea that this dynamic does create an excremental uh, insurrectionary remainder, that this dynamic secretes an insurrectionary event or potential. But the problem, of course, is you're not really going to see that because the power is going to focus on the enemy that it has created, cultivated, and contorted, uh, it's not going to want to legitimately engage with the uh, the insurrectionary uh, elements that actually can undermine the present power system, that can open up an evental space for something different. So, you know, you have to keep an eye out for those insurrectionary potentials. Um, uh see where they are. So every power and resistance dynamic creates and uh, secretes an insurrectionary potential. But the other thing which I'm much more drawn to is uh, Shizek's work on the disinvestment of your libidinal energy in the very dynamic of power and resistance, right? The very removal of your libidinal energy from that entire constellation, now, at first you could hear that and you go, oh, so does he mean that you just don't care, just get on with everyday life and, and, and not bother with all the, the, uh, the craziness out there? But, but not at all. Um, this Because reduc- that actually is to invest in the system. Uh, we live in an ideological world where just consuming uh, you know, your, in an everyday way is actually giving libidinal investment to the system. So libidinal withdrawal is something much more radical. Um, uh, an example of this, of course, is the matrix where uh, human beings are batteries that are plugged into the system of oppression. So even when you resist it, you're still part of it. And the issue is how do you remove yourself as a battery so think of human beings as libido batteries. Libido just meaning your desire, your your en- your desires energy. How do you kind of unplug yourself from the system? Um, now, a good example of this is uh, uh, TV. Like you think of a show cl- like Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Um, I've talked about this before, but I think it's a, a good way of ex- exploring this. Is, you know, you have people who watch, The Kardashians, because maybe they want to be like them. They admire them. They want that lifestyle. Uh, And then you have people who watch the show because they laugh at it. They ridicule it. They think it's ridiculous, right? Now, interestingly, the show might be a cynical show, right? In other words, it's the cynic. Like, that show is probably, I'm guessing, um, created precisely to appeal to the fool, which is the person who watches it fantasizing that there are people who watch it for real wanting to be like the kardashians so the the libidinal fantasy of the progressive is that there is this kind of conservative uh, idiot who's watching the show wanting to be like them um now there probably are but you could conceive of a reality tv show where everybody is literally a uh, watching it um uh, for for in a sceptical way, to, to 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 make fun of it, <clears throat> that everybody is fantasizing that there is somebody who's watching it for real. Um, but this year they're still watching it. There's a wonderful little uh, Mitchell and Webb. Uh, they're comedians in the U K. This little sketch that they did um, that's about the Apprentice, and um, if you look it up, Mitchell and Webb, the Apprentice, you'll see. Uh, A beautiful expression of how this works. But basically, the show operates not because of your intellectual reason for watching it, but because you're watching it, because of your libidinal investment in it. And that's what sells the advertising. That's what kind of keeps the show running. If more and more people just lacked interest in it, just no longer bought into either it in a naive way or bought into it in a sense of a resistance way, then the show would go off the air. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of a way of understanding what the monastics were doing. The monastics were, in a sense, disinvesting themselves from the ideological world that they inhabited. They they literally, they, they weren't just not caring, they actively disinvested. Um, and created alternative forms of life uh, and you can think of uh, she's like use the example of Rosa Parks that Rosa Parks in a sense is someone who when, when, when she symbolically you know sat at the front of this bus when she should have sat at the back there's a sense in which she was just ignoring everything she was just going like I am not part of the system I'm, and I'm going to sit here and that act of of ignoring the kind of the grammar of the system and the power and the resistance and simply sitting in that seat was itself this incredibly important political move, or if you think of Mother Teresa, who in Calcutta just ignored the caste system, she didn't critique it, she didn't engage with it, she just ignored it. All children were children, um, and in that very ignoring of the caste system. It was itself this political move that radically questioned the caste system. Uh, Martin Luther King is another great example. Um, so these people who uh, provide just an alternative vision, they live an alternative vision. You know, they, they live the, the way that they want the world to be. Even in psychoanalysis, um, there's an idea that, I can't remember who the, the analyst was, but he would, you know, ask, uh, you know, if you were well, uh, what would you do? Um, and you know, maybe somebody would say, well, I would maybe, uh, you know, contact my parents again. I would uh, go out of the house more. I would do X, Y, and Z. And then the therapist would say, well, listen, you know, let's let's forget about all of the stuff you're dealing with, and let's just see if you can do some of those things. Let's help you do some of those things. Um, and, and then see what happens. And, and the idea was that you're, the, the person is caught up in a, a self-destructive frame. But if they can just, in one sense, kind of like detach themselves from that destructive frame and begin to live as if they were healthy, <laughs> um, <clears throat> that can in some ways shift the frame itself. So in an unhealthy world, The most radical move sometimes is just to try to live in a healthy way um, within community who are trying to do the same thing, while at the same time attempting to think about what a new reality might look like. So you're ready for that moment when the excremental insurrectionary remainder takes hold, that you can play into that and you can help, you know, create some new possibilities and new futures. Um, the, I actually did a book study <clears throat> that, that explored this uh, on a little-known book called Christ and the End of Meaning. And um, it's a look at how, what does it mean to disinvest from the dominant ideological structure we exist within today. So if you want, have a look on that. It's on my Patreon. And that's like a, a very in-depth look at what this, this uh Unplugging the battery uh, of our desire from life actually kind of looks like, but uh, I think that was pretty much yes. What I wanted to say is that be careful of uh, falling victim of becoming the fool to the cynic of of your critique of an ideological power actually being created by that power to distract or legitimate it. Um, that it's being cultivated by that power um, and contorted by that power. Explore how you can detach yourself from the entire field of power and its resistance to live an alternative type of way um, uh, in community. This is what I think conversion is, not in a religious sense, but this is conversion. It's a radical reconfiguring of your existence so that you exist in the world differently outside of ideology or as a, um, it's hard to say outside of ideology, but in um, resistance to ideology.